Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Most people pass through countries by choice to learn, to explore, to travel. Others aren't so lucky. There are entire populations of people out there who are forced from their homes for a variety of reasons, mostly because it's no longer safe for them to be there. Today, you're going to hear an incredible story from one such person and how her illegal stay in Norway became a public event which reached the highest levels of government and eventually led to the creation of a new law. We'll also discuss the future of global migration and the important role that entrepreneurship can play, advice on how to flip any negative associations you may have with travel, how one small act of kindness can make an enormous impact, and so much more. It's all happening in today's show right now. Strap on in. Thank you for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for spending a little time here with me today, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Where are you, my friend? Are you out on the road right now? Are you taking your dog for a walk, maybe out for a little hike nearby home, plotting and scheming your next trip? I don't know where you are, but wherever you are, you're joining tens of thousands of listeners from around the world in this beautiful community. We have the Zero to Travel Caravan, this listening community. Thank you for being a part of it. Get in touch with me anytime. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. Absolutely love to hear from people listening to this show. Send me a picture from the road. Send me a picture from home. Just tell me your story. Tell me what's up. And uh, of course, if you haven't signed up over at ZeroToTravel.com yet, uh, giving away right now an exclusive audio bonus, the three best ways to save money for travel. So you can grab that and of course, stay in the loop with everything we have going on off the podcast. Today's show is one of those shows that um, really makes you appreciate what you have. 
as a traveler, as somebody who can freely move about the world. And I was uh, just thinking the other day, I do live here in Oslo, Norway. It's been raining a lot. And I had this urge to be in America all of a sudden. This happens sometimes. And maybe you can relate to this, whether you're living as an expat like I am, or you're a traveler and you've been on the road for a while, or maybe there was a past time where you've been on the road, or maybe even you were just gone for the weekend and you missed home. You have that longing for certain things sometimes. And what happens to me living outside of my home country, I just wanted to get in the car, drive down to a good old-fashioned American diner, sit at the counter, order black coffee, a whole bunch of food, and just hang out, do something American. Like there's an American diner here, but the breakfast is eh, not so good. It's not the same experience, you know? Uh, as it is when I'm home. So I, I sometimes I get these flashes of things that I crave from home. And that can be hard and it can kind of send me down this sort of spiral of like, oh man, I would just love to be there right now doing these like real specific American-y things. I think you know what I'm talking about. And then I meet somebody like Maria, who <laughs> was my guest this week. We got to meet in person. When I got her email, I was like, wow, this is such an incredible story. I can't wait to talk to her and share this with you and talk about Dose of Gratitude because I was thinking back to my time learning Norwegian when I was in class here trying to learn Norwegian. Um, I'm going to pick up with that story in a moment. I first quickly... I have to thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. If you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, that is the link that will not only take you to all the backpacks I recommend and the travel gear I recommend from them, but you also get 10% off by using that link. Now, I've mentioned the promo code many times on this show before. They're doing away with the promo code. So just use that link, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. That will get you the 10% discount. And also, you can check out their stuff. You can check out the stuff I recommend. I was just out Yesterday, it was pouring rain, like I mentioned. I had my Tortuga Outbreaker day pack. I'm always impressed by how much that holds and how packable it is. And I love the material. They use the sailcloth technology. So even in the pouring rain, our stuff didn't get soaked. And that's a bag I use almost every day. And the full-size Outbreaker is actually my go-to travel bag for any length trip, three weeks, three months, or three years. They also have packing cubes, a whole bunch of cool stuff. If you're looking for a gift for yourself or for somebody coming up this holiday, don't look any further. Don't waste your time doing a bunch of research. Just go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. You will also get that 10% off when you go through that link and you'll be supporting my podcast. So thank you so very much for that. And thanks to them for supporting this show. Now, let me get back to this story really quick. I remember being in Norwegian class and thinking, oh, man, this is such a struggle to learn a language and having fun, though, and understanding more than ever that I'm here by choice because a lot of times I'd be sitting next to somebody from Syria, for example, who was coming from a war-torn country. They want to be home. They can't be home because there's this raging war going on. Um, they even maybe have family members who have died. Uh, it's affecting everybody over there. And this isn't a political podcast. We're not talking current events or anything like that. But this stuff happens all over the world. People are forced from their homes for a variety of reasons, as I mentioned at the top, whether it's war, whether it's um, some kind of dangerous situation for them back at home, for whatever reason, uh, it, it just happens. And it also happens like it did for me. It's by choice. I'm here by choice. I get these you know, big reminders in, in my face, like meeting Maria was 
another great reminder for me. Like, yeah, okay, it's okay to miss home sometimes. I don't want to diminish some of the struggles about living overseas or being gone for a long time because it's important to acknowledge your feelings about things. But at the same time, also balancing it with that gratitude uh, and understanding, hey, like from my personal experience, I'm here by choice. A lot of people don't have that choice. And we also are lucky that we can travel. A lot of people don't have the ability to travel. They don't have a good passport. They don't have uh, the circumstances that allow them to travel. And these are things that can always keep you in check if you're having any struggles around travel or um, your situation or whatever. You can always remember, hey, if you're listening to this and you have a passport that allows you to travel, you have opportunities to create travel for yourself, you are certainly one of the lucky ones. We are some of the lucky ones. So on that note, I want to share this incredible story with you. It's so inspiring. I know you're going to love it. Please enjoy my interview with Maria. And on the back end, we'll talk a little bit more about migration. And I got a powerful quote to share with you. So stick around for that. I'll see you on the other side. So is this okay? It's great. I feel like I have a red nose, you know. <laughs> I think the 1st of November or 1st of October is like Red Cross uh, Day, and then oh, you yeah. can go with a red nose. Uh. Like they give out those, yeah. Oh, I haven't gotten one of those. Like no. a clown nose? Yeah. like it's, yeah. I want a clown nose. Well, I mean, we, we can say we're officially starting right now <laughs> okay. on the clown nose tip, but I'm not going to make you take off because you're holding a microphone with a red cover. Yeah. And that could double as a clown nose. I haven't yeah. thought about yeah. that. So should we t- should we put our clown noses on and take a picture later? No. <laughs> Everything for social media. I'm so excited to be sitting in a room in person here with uh, the author of this new book, Startup Migrants. And we're both here in Oslo, Norway. I'm with Maria Amelie. And I want to say welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I also want to say you have a wonderful smile. I didn't oh, tell you that thank yet. You. But uh, we have got a lot to discuss today because um, your background is... Weird. Well, it's just interesting and different. And when you emailed me, you talked about bringing this different travel perspective to the show. And I mean, as I was reading your email, I was getting more and more excited because, you know, at the end, you're like, oh, if this is, uh, I forget what you said exactly. You're like, if this isn't, um, if you're too busy or whatever, don't worry. I'm like, no, no, I'm not too busy. This is like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to meet up and talk about this stuff because there are so many important issues here and also so many things that pertain to the world as it is today. And I think um, in our minds, we can get a little bit locked on what we think the world was and what it actually is right now and how migration is um, changing the world. And there's a lot of issues we're going to discuss around that. But I think, of course, the best place to start is going to be with your background because this is kind of where everything starts for you, right? So you came to Norway in 2002 from the Caucasus? So I was I was born in uh, Caucasus in uh, uh, a small place called North Ossetia, which is part of Russia, but its own republic. And I left when I was uh, 12 years old. Uh, 12 years old. Uh, yes. We, I went to Moscow with my family uh, because my parents were persecuted both politically and uh, business-wise. And uh, we tried to, um, to live in Moscow, but the problems were still there. So They followed you there? Um, 
well, I was I was little, so right. I kind of what I I just remember that it was very very difficult time for both my parents and also for their family. What um, were they doing that got them? My my parents were very very uh, entrepreneurial. My my dad started a company before during just before Perestroika, uh, at the time when it was actually illegal to 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 be an entrepreneur in uh, in Soviet Union. Uh, so, but he he had this uh, drive. So he started several companies. Uh, doing like everything from small stuff for the kitchen uh, that people can buy for their uh, spices and salts and peppers and then he uh, he built it up to become a, a bigger company with uh, both uh, a factory and uh, um, also a bakery and a restaurant so he was yeah I, but I'm, there must have been other people being oh, entrepreneurs oh, right yeah, I mean, yeah. he wasn't i think so, it's, it was a, like a wave all over the all over russia right mm. but what was it about was it did was he attracting too much of attention with the success of the business was it yeah my my mom was she was a politician she was um both of them were very opinionated and kind of uh supporting and trying to build a ecosystem for entrepreneurs for other entrepreneurs hmm. uh and i think they it was it was just a very turbulent time in 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 russia and um I find it still very difficult to talk about because it's kind of not my story. It's 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 their story, and there's still many many things around it that I I don't quite understand or remember. Yeah. Um. But what I see now is that um. What I read now is that it is it was a very difficult time for entrepreneurs in Russia at the time. There are many of them who managed to build companies. Yeah. But then many of them lost them as well. Hmm. We ended up uh, in Moscow, and actually in Moscow we were not living uh, quite legally because even though Moscow um, is probably we, we, we were Russian citizens you have to get a citizens or like a residence permit in Russia really? in, in Moscow if you're staying there for a longer time hmm. and we didn't get it because it was very difficult and yeah. so already from from maybe age of 12 I was I was living without kind of in the in the gray area of uh, of documents and and papers mm. um my how that trend continued huh? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll get into that at that time it was a lot of terrorism happening as well in in russia yeah and uh, there was um also chechen war it was uh, a generally difficult time for the country i think we were actually discriminated and we were called um people from uh, of Caucasian nationality uh, and it was difficult to get a job uh, in the um, ads in the newspapers you can read uh, we have this apartment available but we're not renting out to people from of Caucasian nationality and in Caucasian is different in that, American uh, but it's in right. in, <laughs> in, uh, in Russia it meant people from Caucasus from this area yeah because people there was so much terrorism there were several buildings that were been blown up during the time so yeah it was it was a lot of uh, mm. discrimination I, th I think it's much much better now it's, it's it's changed so far as i know um so we were basically <laughs> it wasn't a home <laughs> anywhere um and we uh decided my parents decided to apply for asylum in uh, finland so we went first actually to finland uh, in around 2000 Okay, before we get to this, I just yeah. wanted to ask you, do, do you have any siblings? No, that's, okay, so that's just the me. three of you. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it can be scary for a kid to all of a sudden 
feel like you're losing a certain level of stability, you know? Were you getting that sense at that time before you went to Finland? Like things, you're obviously around the stress at the home. I'm sure your parents are having conversations in in front of you. Like how did you feel as a as a 12-year-old in that time? Um very helpless and also very grown up like you have to take care of your yeah, parents like kind of like stealing a part of your childhood in a way yeah i think so and and not, not by not, their not, not they not, not by not, their fault no exactly. just by circumstance is yeah, what i mean yeah and i think when i meet uh when i meet kids who are uh who have been refugees the most part of their lives i don't they i don't look at them as kids I, they are often tiny grown-ups who have experienced so much um and sometimes um in this situation as a as a as a kid you have to you see your parents hurting and you don't do not want to show them that you're hurting too because then right. they will be more sad you felt like you had to be strong for them yeah so i've 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 learned through that i've learned to be strong and then eventually i learned to express my feelings too so it's all yeah. came in, in balance okay. <laughs> but it took it took a while um and i think it's also um makes you like eventually it makes you very resilient and you get to know yourself when you're in a very tough situation yeah um and i'm i'm happy i had this journey but i don't want anyone else to have it right <laughs> this is always the tricky part about a journey like this right because it makes you who you are and all these wonderful things that you're doing and that you've done yeah. in your life would be without this journey but at the same time does that mean like you said you don't yeah. want you, you don't want to wish these hardships on somebody somebody else like being discriminated against being uh you know forced to leave your country and leave all your businesses behind and things like that um and it sounds like your dad was making an effort to you know help other people in that town yeah he was and, creating jobs for refugees right in, in where we uh, in in the city we lived in so it was such an irony when he one day became a refugee himself we, we all became refugees yeah uh, and there was different people help, helping us and different reality so it's a total flip yeah so leading up to the decision to apply for asylum in finland i imagine there was a lot of discussion amongst your family were you involved in that or was it they just say one day hey we're going to finland pack your bags we got to get out i think here. i was the one who was mostly excited about okay, going yeah. because i and i think it was unconsciously um i i just wanted to experience something else hmm. and i i didn't have so much freedom uh growing up in what um, way i because of the uh, we lived so close to the uh, war in Chechnya, that uh, uh, it was it was not very safe place. So I, when I went to school, I had a I had a bodyguard following me, <laughs> and then really? bodyguards <laughs> picking me up, and then yeah, and then some because point, they were afraid you would get kidnapped or something. Yeah, because that's, held for that's ransom because they need money. That was happening a lot in that area, and wow. um, um, I read the uh, uh, Human Rights Convention, the, uh, all those beautiful words, and I kind of had this idealistic vision of Europe um, that maybe they will check out our case uh, they will uh, research and then they understand that we have real uh, reasons for for be granted an asylum well explain explain uh, to people i want i want to get into that uh, but explain to people what it means to apply for asylum because that might be a foreign concept to some people yeah, listening yeah it was it was so foreign for us as well we we had no idea we just you know 
at the t- I don't think the it was Google at the time, like barely, barely Google. Right. Just trying to figure but out legally and, and what talk does that to mean? People. You get into a new country um, other than your home, mm-hmm. and then you say, "I'm uh, I'm asking for asylum," which means that I'm basically surrendering. I am persecuted because of my faith or race or uh, political, uh, religious, or any any other uh, reasons, and I would like to ask for protection. When you move to another country for work, yeah. you have a work visa or study visa. Yeah, you have certain requirements, and then you have a job offer, and and then you start living in the new country. But uh, if you are an asylum seeker, then you you just have to make it across the border and then uh, ask the police or the asylum or authorities to to protect you. Right. Um, oh. And and you don't know what's going to happen that day. No, I mean, no, we just we just showed up uh, in Helsinki. We we took a train and then showed up in Helsinki and and said we would like to ask for protection. And um, um, that wasn't very pleasant actually because they they took us uh, to the police and then police uh, uh, went through all of our stuff. They were very very uh, suspicious of us. And then they and that's actually their procedure at that time. I don't know how it is now, but mm. they went through all of our stuff. They uh, interrogated us for two, three hours. And then finally, after that, they said, okay, we, you can ask for asylum. We will send you to this asylum camp in the middle of uh, uh, Finland. Uh, and you're going to live there. And um, then you're going to go to a um, an interview. So Because every asylum seeker have to go through an interview and explain the reasons why he or she is asking for protection. And then the uh, asylum authorities will decide whether you will you need protection or not. And if you don't need protection, then you will be transported and deported out of the country in some period of time. And that wasn't decided during the initial interview. It's still like, it's almost still purgatory. You're held in this area while they still process your case. In some countries, it takes a very short time. And sometimes in some countries, it's it's, it's different. Um, But there's also Dublin Convention that once you have applied uh, in one country, and then you are rejected and you go to the next country, you will most likely be rejected there as well. Right. So once you've applied in one European country, it's it's fixed for all. So, so, it's just a so it's a challenge that, for example, in Greece, they have been struggling to process all the all the refugees, all the interviews. So it's it might take it might be a different process than in, in another European country. And while these cases are processing, you're just living in this asylum camp. Yeah. Asylum camp, yeah. and they provide food and uh, yeah, you get you get very very tiny amount of uh, money to to f- for food and um, maybe a bus card or a travel card. And uh, we did this both in Finland and in Norway, and both places we lived in a in asylum camps with people from all all kinds of different nationalities. Someone has escaped from war. Someone from conflict or politically or something people are on edge uh, because they all are unsure of their future yeah and they have to wait maybe between one year two years and some people even wait for five years um and people that are used to working and being productive and so and during this waiting time at least in norway there there are some who are allowed to work if they find a job um, and for the most part, it's very difficult to get um, permission to work. So um, it's difficult to to study 
you have Norwegian classes, but otherwise you don't have so much. So we ended up in Finland. I, I don't know. I had I had really this romantic vision that that if they will see how much we suffer, then we'll, <laughs> we'll probably be allowed to stay. So um, and that we needed to show how much we wanted to be part of Finland and to contribute in the society. So my parents and I, we went all in on <laughs> integration. We in being becoming part of the society. I I actually became fluent in Finnish oh. uh, in during sixteen months uh, wow. there. Uh, my parents got uh, got uh, job offers and they they became very welcomed in the community. Um, but it didn't help because that's the the irony kind of with um because the this this path of becoming an asylum seeker it is created for people who need protection it's not for people who uh become very well integrated and get a job uh but it's like that be, it's like can't that be the same person yeah but and <laughs> i mean yeah exactly um but if you get a job then you can move as a work migrant or study a student or etc so i mean that seems like it should be the natural path right yeah but then you're kind of in you're stuck with this label refugees um, are the ones who are struggling most with integrating uh becoming part of a new country uh but but at the same time they're not very uh, they're not encouraged to integrate at the time when they wait (laughs) for their papers because it there's no point for them to integrate. Like the, the, the it, it won't help their case. It will help them f- uh, psychologically. I think. I think it's important to to try to still learn and and live. Uh, yeah, move forward as if move things forward. are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What you're saying is you're not going to walk into a meeting speaking fluent Finnish. That's not going to change their. No, no, no. Um, I mean, maybe it depends at least, on the individual. At least not for the for the government, like for the authorities. Yeah. It won't. As far as legally. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And. Uh, a refugee is, by definition, somebody that's has sought asylum, essentially. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because I'm not sure about the probably people listening who know. Yeah, I mean, these these terms and legal yeah. definitions vary yeah. from country to but country. But I think of you course, you but. can be called refugee when you finally have your paper, like when you have. Yeah, you uh, have permission to you stay. You have permission to stay. Yeah, right. and then okay. the time you're an asylum seeker. Right, you're seeking, and then you get permission, then you're a refugee. Yeah. It's like we were talking earlier before we recorded. It's crazy to think how, um, you know, there may be people that are discriminating against refugees when they're they're escaping a situation that, you know, anybody would do for their family to protect their family. They would leave to go to another place. I mean, that's just, yeah, um, yeah and especially like the the that my my parents couldn't work for them, and they had to receive help from the government. Uh, a completely foreign government that also kind of destroyed some some part of their self-respect i think mm-hmm. um because you not only you come to a new country and ask for the help but you're also not allowed to contribute and you're not allowed to to work legally right. and uh, um and also build you're, you're your just own self but not yeah. by choice this is, yeah. this is the system yeah the system's forcing you to just take but not allowing you to give yeah exactly and being an entrepreneur like your dad was and creating jobs for people and things like that and your mom being in politics and everybody being super active in their community, yeah. I mean, it's stealing this 
this part of your identity that's core to yeah, this is part of who you are. Yeah, you lost connections with all of your friends, with with the family, with uh, all the people you studied and worked with. So that way, for me, it was actually easier to relocate uh, than for them because um, I I didn't have anything to compare yeah, with. You had uh, time on your side. You could yeah. create a life anywhere. Yeah, and I, and they could too, but they were coming from something they knew, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you were bearing witness to these changes in real time, right? Was that hard to to watch uh, the energy or the to listen to the discussions or just be a part of? I think they they really tried to do their best and help me as well. Yeah, and they, I, um, I, I think they they did a lot in spite of uh, the traumatizing experiences they had to deal with on their own in in the asylum camp mm-hmm. um so my my mom was like the first day i was gonna go to in norway if you're an asylum seeker you can go to school and it's no problem uh until you are around um 16 and then after that to go to the next level you have to be granted uh, permission to stay in the country uh, so I was I was between 15 and 16 and they said no you can't go to school and I was like what how how is it possible no you have to wait until you get your papers and then you can you can start your your this what is was it, high school n- now or, in Norway or, yeah that was in you Norway. guys you guys left Finland yeah, sorry I'm, I'm talking. no that's okay but <laughs> yeah. um but you yeah. you did not get permission to stay is that what happened yeah so in Finland I was not prom- we, we, we didn't get permission After to stay that. um probably because I mean it's it's difficult. Could it be luck there, of the draw? Were, you meet the, with the wrong person, the and they're just like, "The people who are yeah. coming, maybe from the neighboring, from from the actual war, like from Chechnya, yeah. not from the neighboring republic, like we were." They, some of them, were were granted permission to stay, and because it's it's kind of like a political decision f- coming from upstairs that yeah. that okay we can grant them but not them <laughs> people from right. that area but not right. from that and area it's just so we kind of fell between all all chairs actually. okay yeah. so then you just yeah. packed up and you're like okay guys on to the next country and then you oh that was that was not our first idea but we just um our friends in finland they were very they tried to support us they gathered lots of uh, signatures in our support um, and try to talk to the asylum authorities, but it didn't succeed. Uh, so they like either you go back to to Russia or you go somewhere else. Right. Um, and how? How? I mean, you guys so were there long enough was, that you learned. It was very. It was very like it, it was a decision made in in a couple of days. Like wow. I came home from school and uh, and my <sighs> mom and dad and said like, okay, we're packing, we're leaving yeah, to tonight. <laughs> So uh, and and th- for me it was it wasn't the first time actually we've been in this kind of situation that I just it was maybe third or fourth time I had to just okay we have to pack so I've okay it's a it's a bad and a good thing but I'm really good at packing really fast <laughs> uh, even if I have like apartment full of things I will know what to take with me right uh, what are the important things so I we just packed everything and then and then we we left and we didn't it was. I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. Like, no, there's, 
there are so many rumors in the um, communities, in the asylum camp communities, and you have no idea where, and no one is right. Like you're, once you enter and you apply for asylum, you're part of this never-ending circle of, and you you don't know how to get, like the only way to get out is go back to, to your country. Mm. And maybe eventually when things uh, become better there, maybe you can do that. But if things are as bad as when you left, so it's like there's not an option. So well, what, there else, must be what else can we do? Are yeah. there consequences if you go back to your country too? Because then they're like, hey, where of have course. you guys been? Yeah, obviously, yeah, that that too as well. Especially if, um, uh, yeah, especially if you come from from more close countries. Yeah, and then I saw in the asylum camp uh, several families who have been going from one country to another country in Europe. Just you know, in this and and they, as a refugee, as an asylum seeker, you don't get any psychological help. I mean, you can ask, but it will take a while for you to get right. it in in the guest case scenario, and then it won't be. You need a translator, and so it's not it's not very easy easily accessible. So you don't have actually someone to talk to, uh, who can help you to figure it out, and then you you cannot afford. You have. Um, some certain hours uh, to call a lawyer, but then it all disappears. Like you had, I think we had like ten hours or something free lawyer help, and then free legal advice, yeah. and then we had to pay on our own. So you kind of, yeah. you you, it's the system. Yeah, you you kind of become part of the system. So in, yeah. so we ended up we in February we left from uh, Finland. We drove after up, staying up there for how long? What was 16, the 16 months. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we drove up to the north because uh, we're thinking, okay, Norway. We, I don't. I have no idea about Norway. <laughs> we go there, um, so maybe they they will listen to our case. Uh, and then we went to up in the north because my, my parents were terrified to cross uh, more borders than necessary illegally mm, because mm. we could have gone through Sweden and then to Norway. Oh, I see. Yeah, but they're like, no, no, no. We go. We go Just to the over one. Yeah, yeah, we go to the north, and they might not let you pass through Sweden, for example. Yeah, and once we crossed the border, yeah, um, my mom was unconscious in the front seat. My dad was uh, driving. I I was very sad to miss my friends in Finland because that's that was actually the first time in my life I I I had I gotten to know people and I had friends and I went to the summer camp for the first time in my life I had this amazing freedom yeah you um, felt this freedom you didn't feel at home no, no. you didn't have to walk around with bodyguards and this yeah type just of stuff. Like yeah. be a kid right um and my and first thought away that's my first thought when I when we crossed the border to Norway is it's just Finland is very flat, yeah. right? It's super flat, and then it's it was it was like Lap, we were driving through Lapland, the Rovaniemi, and it was beautiful. Lots of snow. We even I, th- I think we met some like I think deers. What do you call them? Reindeer. Reindeers. Yeah, yeah they're very cute. We're just standing in the middle of the road, <laughs> 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 and then we come to Norway, and the first thing I see is is water, and then I see lots of uh, mountains, not very high, but mountains, and it was it was so magical. It was dark, but it was a lot of light from the snow, um, and I thought, oh my god, this is like um, where I come from, uh, Caucasus, but it's even even better because mm-hmm. uh, I've always missed to have sea uh, to live by the sea yeah uh, and then my second thought is i'm not gonna even try to learn norwegian because 
or even get some friends because what's the point? We're gonna, uh, we're just gonna have to leave again. Like what? <laughs> Here I am, that's a still lot in Norway. <laughs> kid, like teenager to, to uh, take on uh, with no psychological support. No, I Not, think, and you don't even have a sibling to kind of talk with about either. No, so it's no. yeah, it's a lot going on up here in your head, right? It it's is, a, and that's why that's why uh, all this time I've been writing a, a a diary. I had a notebook, and I've been writing. Hmm. That's that's how I managed to accomplish to write my first two books, is by uh, going through all my notes. Um, and uh, so, so this notebook kind of became my best friend, uh, yeah. who I could talk to anytime. And nobody was reading it; I was very sure of it. And uh, I, I just, I could write about anything I wanted to. So that's why when I, um, at some point, I actually did a course. I did um, a project with uh, Save the Children here in Norway, where we went to the uh, asylum camps and we taught um, kids on how to how they can write. Oh. And how they can write diary and maybe even mm. write an opinion piece in the newspaper, um, because I'm thinking it's in such an, a difficult situation. And if you don't have anyone to talk to, paper is your best friend. <laughs> like tr- at least you have that. So yeah, uh, you can draw, you can write, you can yeah. Hmm. That was your outlet. Yes. And we're looking at two of your books right now. The Last one we're going to talk about the most today is Startup Migrants which uh, you've been kind enough to bring me a copy of. I want to continue on with the the Norway story because that that ties in with this other book that we have here. It gets even crazier for you. I wanted to mention in Startup Migrants, at some point uh, it said in the book that seeking asylum in Finland was, you thought, was one of the worst mistakes that your family yeah, I, made. Do you f- I mean, we, we, we didn't feel that. Uh, we didn't have any alternatives i think the uh, asylum path was the only one it was your greatest had. mistake is what yeah. the words in the well, book the yeah. only one we had um and later in life i've met people who are living in difficult conditions in their home countries and who say maybe i will apply for asylum and i always say please don't like if you if you have any other opportunity to get out of the country uh, and go to Europe. Uh, don't apply for asylum. Try to do it a different way. Be a student. Try to get in as a student. Try to get any job, like anywhere mm-hmm. in in European Union, for example, or uh, because then you have you you're not becoming part of a system that is right. very uh, difficult and frustrating, and also. Yeah, I've seen people go become really crazy of of just you know, having this authority out there who is deciding your future and just this waiting and waiting. Yeah. Uh, I think if you if you have any opportunity to 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 do something yourself, to to be to go as a student or to get a, a job offer, it's it's better to do that. But then, I th- so the seeking asylum is is definitely a last last option. Yeah, got or, it. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying. Yeah, you were saying you wish you could have done anything uh, to avoid that. So I understand it's not it's not that you were saying, oh, stay in a dangerous place, but it's more like try to find yeah. another way and use it as your last yeah. resort if there's no other mm. way. So you got you guys show up in Norway and yeah, we show up in Norway. It's winter. It's February. It's minus twenty degrees. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of snow. Yay! Yeah, and then we apply for um, for asylum there. 
mm-hmm. and uh, the police is like super confused where we come from. Um, and we they sent us to Oslo. We spent some time there in the asylum camp, um, waiting for the interview. And then they sent us to another asylum camp where we stay for a couple of years. Yeah. So that was uh, a couple years. And did you still not learn Norwegian? And were you still kind of like, hey, I'm not going to do all this because at what point did well, you? We arrived to this asylum camp spring 2002. Um, and my birthday was coming up. I was becoming, I was going to become, I think, 17, 18. And then this message came about me not, uh, I, that I won't be able to go to school because I'm too old. Yeah. <laughs> if I would go to the next, uh, to, to, to school, I need to get my papers in order and then I can go to school. And yeah. So I, I suddenly had this realization that this is it. This is my life. I'm going to be here in the asylum camp with my parents, with all the other old people, <laughs> um, living every day, going to a Norwegian course twice a week, uh, not being able to work. Library was the only place I could go to, to, you know, just even see Norwegians. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I just like realized that it's not good enough. It's not, it's, I will not let someone decide uh, how my life is going to be. Uh, I am going to decide myself, um, even though they, my life has some certain limitations. So, uh, and I think my parents were part of the reason why I was, I wanted more. Like I wanted, I was determined. So my, my mom was like, ha, huh, you're not going to go to school. We need to do something about it. So uh, we managed to get a meeting with a principal at the, at the local school. And he said, well, you don't speak Norwegian and we don't have, uh, we don't have any space for you in the, um, in the f- first class. I don't know how, how, how do you call it? Um, yeah, high school. High school. Yeah. yeah. We don't have uh, space for you in the, in the, f- in the first uh, year, but you can maybe uh, start on the second year uh, of of the school, yeah. <laughs> on the high school. So I was like, okay, watch me. I'll <laughs> <laughs> so I came back uh, three months later after the summer vacation, um, and I was speaking some Norwegian. Uh, so I decided I just studied a lot on my own, uh, and I also managed to find some Norwegians I can talk to. Uh, and practice my 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 language with. So I started in the second year, and as soon as I started there, they sent me to a um, because you you have Norwegian um, Norwegian class, Norwegian language uh, class for Norwegians, and then you have for people who don't speak so well in Norwegian. And they put me in the second class with the, all all the others who don't speak so well Norwegian. Yeah. And I got really mad. I was like, uh. no, no way. <laughs> I, w- I want to be with all others because how, how else I'm going to learn? Yeah. So I uh, I went and I, I got the best grades by the end of the two years. I got yeah. the best grades in the High Norwegian. <laughs> but wow, I, it was impressive. it was a lot of a lot of studying. Yeah. Um, but you were determined. Yeah, and also I think it's also helped that I learned Finnish first because I I I understood how to learn languages. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's an important point. I think yeah. I not not one I fully grasped until I learned Norwegian to the extent that I've learned it, but. I realized afterwards, I'm like, oh yeah, this is just learning another language is a skill yeah. in itself, like how to how to go about learning it. Yeah. And then I, I can see how a second or a th- I should say a third or fourth language could be 
easier. Yeah, I think so. Each time because you're you've at least had a refresher on like grammar and sentence structure and then you can kind of make comparisons to two other languages. But Yeah, you already know a lot of words in another in a new language because you you can recognize especially like Norwegian now you can go and learn German. <laughs> yeah. And there are many Can I? S- yeah, you can. <laughs> there are similar Uh-oh. words. <laughs> Why don't I focus on my Norwegian first? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Norwegians love speak in- to speak English to you, yeah. to practice their English. So I had to I had to say to my friends like you're not allowed to talk to yeah. See, in English to, better, to me. I have yeah. to do a better job of that. <laughs> but it must have been relief as a teenager at this low point where you're like kind of realizing, whatever, 17, 18 years old, thinking, I mean, I can't imagine being that age, especially you just want to be a teenager, like do teenage things, yeah. hang out with other teenagers. Have a, you're like, I'm going to be in this, you know, asylum-seeking camp with all these older people. And like, this is, I mean, God, that, that would be yeah. like tough to kind of process. And then, um, but then taking that as motivation to kind of make something happen and then making it happen. Yeah, I was very happy. I yeah. I went to school. I managed to to get into dance school in the evenings as well. Mm. So I was I was busy all the time. I I barely was at the at the camp. Right. Um, you were I, just like I'm gonna just learn things and yeah. do things. And, and the first day of school, I was like I was a bit worried. Will anyone like me? And right. and my mom. I was like, of course, everyone's gonna like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had, I had a very positive attitude when yeah. I went to school. So I think, I think that helped as well. And that's something I take with me uh, when people struggle, maybe to to feel welcomed in a new country. You just, right? Yeah, you you have to change your own attitude first. I think. Fast forward a little bit. I mean, you live you live in Norway for a period of time. Yes. But you're not... And then stuff happens. Yeah. So, because I'm looking at this book right now. You want to explain the background of this book. It's uh, it's Ulovli Norsk. Illegally Norwegian. Illegally yeah. Norwegian. How old were you when you wrote this book? I was 24. Okay. Yeah. So, people listening that are outside of Norway won't maybe know what this is, but this was a big deal in Norway, yeah. right? Yeah. It was... Um, um, talk about this time in your life. In 2004, we got the final rejection letter from the asylum authorities in Norway. After being here and going to school? For two years, yeah. yeah. The same same thing again. Lots of signatures in our support, lots of campaigns. Nothing helped. Um, And I, again, uh, also my mom, actually, uh, she said to me, you know, Maria, our situation is very unsure here. But I think you should apply to university anyway. <laughs> uh, and I said, like, no, it's not. How can they admit me if right. we're not even allowed to be in the country yeah. now? How does that work? Yeah. And she said, no, you should apply. Like, you, you, what, what have you got what to lose? What do you lose? have to lose? Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, so I applied and I wrote that I don't have any papers. I don't. Ha- I, I actually I attached a letter to the to to the application. I said I don't have any letter, um, any citizenship, any passport right now. I don't have anything, but I really would like to study, and I wanted to study social anthropology. Um, and the and I sent send it. And during summer of two thousand four, um, I I I got in on my first choice of the university, uh, which was seven hundred kilometers how away. Is, how? <laughs> I think um, what happened is 
is that during the high school I got my uh, I got my all of my documents. I, I I took the extra exams I needed to oh, take. Okay. So she had all the paperwork that you had all gone the through the classes. Yes, and, and the principal at that at that school he knew that I was in the country without any permission to stay. That I was yeah. rejected, but he said, uh, "You know, you studied so hard. I think you should get a diploma anyway." Mm. Um, so the diploma I got it has my my social security number my asylum seeker security number okay yeah um so we were not hiding anything um and uh, i i was allowed to stay with um to study i was allowed to study yeah with that he's one of the many people who showed this kind of act of civil, civil disobedience in a small way hmm. that had such a huge impact for me uh, that i still remember so I, I always people say... People helping you along the way. Yeah, I mean, you, yes, you can go and change the world, but you can also make a difference for a, a, a refugee, for example. And, and I, was, I was that person. I, I was nobody. But people still yeah. wanted to, to help. Um, so I like that, these tiny acts of rebellion that yeah. kind of like, hey, this person deserves this even if they don't have this legal status or whatever. It's... So he, by that, I think the, once I applied to university, they said, okay, maybe it's a rare case. I don't know what they said. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you got in. But I got in and I studied. You must have been jumping for joy that day. I was very happy. Yeah. <laughs> and then your parents said, well, we're not leaving. We're just going to stay here illegally. That mean? Yes. So we, we suddenly we had this whole community of people around us who were supporting us uh, with job. We were cleaning houses uh, and... To, to support ourselves and um, kind of, I don't know, were very, um, kind of who respected us, who didn't look at us as criminals or who understood that nobody chooses voluntarily to be in this situation. Yeah. We, we just stayed. And I, I, I would never, ever thought that I would become an undocumented immigrant in Europe, like it's it's it was it's so far away right. from everything, but then. It, but you're not going to pass up this opportunity to go to university and. No, I I I wanted to study. This was <laughs> so, your chance. Yeah, um, so I moved on my own to this uh, city, uh, and I got a job as a clean cleaning private homes, uh, because I couldn't I couldn't uh, work legally, yeah. um, and I was afraid that I didn't have like my other options were really shady <laughs> right when you're undocumented immigrant you it's you very it's all of this it can be human trafficking abuse it's uh, people not being paid so i had to make to find like the most safest solution yeah how do you find that just word of mouth or i put an ad in the newspaper Did you? Yeah. yeah um and yeah, just got got people, got a couple of clients, and yeah. then they recommended me, and then yeah, that's yeah, how I spent. Yeah. And they would just pay cash, and they would pay cash, yeah. and then yeah, it was. I I felt really bad about it because yeah. I mean, I, you know, yes, it's uh, terrible to it's uh, to pay lots of taxes <laughs> from your income, <laughs> but then again, it's also really nice because you you pay for your opportunity to be part of a society right see this is um, important for people to hear because i mean you you would have been more than happy to be a part of the system and pay your taxes but they you didn't have a choice i yeah. mean this was what you had to do 
I, I studied for five years. I got my master's uh, degree too. Congratulations. <laughs> in uh, innovation and technology because I wanted to to look more into that. And and then I was like, so what I do, what, 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 I, what is it I can do now? I had several job offers. And where were your parents living this whole um, time? They live in, in another city in Norway. Okay, yeah. And they were also trying to get by on their mm-hmm. own. And I was thinking, what what is my future? Like, what is... And then I started to talk to lawyers and I realized that if I go, if I leave the country now and I go back to Russia to get my papers uh, sorted out, that I I will be banned, expelled from uh, Norway and the whole Schengen for maybe 10 years or even forever. Because Norway has some of the strictest uh, laws on, on this in Europe. If you are even one day uh, in the country illegally, you will uh, you will get banned from from Schengen. Uh, so I <laughs> suddenly hit me. Oh wow! So I w- once again I will lose my home, my friends, everything I've that has been that's made me who I am. But I will get my papers. I will I will manage to retrieve my citizenship in in Russia and yeah. and maybe. That was one option. The second option was fake passport. Should I buy a fake passport? Like I, I really was concerning. Well, what, what is it? What is it I can do now? And that um, involves finding some black market. And no, I, I didn't go, didn't go so far. No. But I just realized, no, that's not an option because I will always be afraid that someone yeah. will expose me. I don't want right. to live my life like this. Right. Um, and then I decided, okay. I had an event with uh, with a very famous Norwegian professor in social anthropology who kind of bec- become my mentor over the years, and we've been emailing. And I told him about my situation, and then I and then I just joked. I said, maybe I should write a book about it. Um, kind of like looking at him. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, yes, you should. It's it's now or never. It's th- it's a tipping point in the political debate on this on this topic. And Use, I think using your story, your book to could be a good contribution. And the fact that wow. he believed that I can write a book and my my story was worth telling. Yeah, I I just started writing. Um, I started writing, wow. and I decided. Was it scary to share with people that you were not documented immigrant? Were you afraid that somebody would? Yeah, I Did was very as a very careful. And, who I, uh, yeah, yeah, and I at some point it also became. It didn't matter to share it because who I am, like a normal Norwegian person, uh, was a much bigger part of of my life than yeah. than my my legal status. So it's kind of it was right. also a bit confusing who I was. So I decided, okay, I will um, I will write a book, and then I went back to all my notebooks and I uh, managed to construct a book out of it. I was thinking, shall I write it, uh, publish the book anonymously? Um, because as soon as soon as I would be out there, I would I would be exposed. So yeah. the press, the the media, the police, everyone could find me very easily. That was yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but then I decided, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna publish with my with the name I choose, and I'm gonna publish it with my face on the book. So at that <laughs> point, which is what I'm looking at right now, this is your face on the book? I mean, at that point. Had you made a conscious decision that you were willing to give everything up for sharing your beliefs just, around this cause th- and your story? I or? just thought it's it's all gonna go to hell anyway. So how can I? What? What good uh, could I do? Yeah. How? Here? What choice can I take in this situation to make most impact for the society? Yeah. For the people, maybe in the similar situation. So yeah. The intention behind the book was 
to change some laws or to, to just no, let, expose, no. <laughs> the, expose the system for what it is and just tell the story behind it? I wanted to show how much Norwegians um, supported me because the narrative in the media in, at that time was very dehumanizing when, oh, okay. when people were speaking about refugees. So this was positive in, for Norwegians. Yeah. Yeah, it was like you were talking about the because I haven't read this book. You just gave it to me, and it's all Norwegian, so it'll take yeah, me a while to read luck. it. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the stories in here, okay, are more focused on the people that helped you out along the way. Is yeah, that- and how how I just survived here, kind of to show that um, because the narrative in the media was a lot about criminal asylum seekers, and by that they meant me too. Right. I, I was also they were lumping I, you I in was a that. criminal yeah, right. asylum seeker. So you wanted to share a story of a real that, person. Yeah, you. and someone who came here as uh, as a minor um, and in a very weird life cir- circumstances that it's nothing that I planned. It's And, and I don't... Uh, people are not living illegally because it's fun. It's yeah. b- because there's like... What else can I do? That's, right. That's what we're trying to. Right. All the to, stuff we've talked about yeah. today. Yeah. So I wanted just to show everything. So it's it's very, and I I wanted to show how angry I was with in meeting with asylum authorities, how exhausting it was, um, and also show how how much I love this country, how how I, how it just it became my home. Um, I I I don't ha- I didn't know anything else. That's that's what I knew. Like Norway. So you found a traditional publisher here in Norway. So yes, we f- the professor. Uh, this is gutsy, <laughs> Maria. I gotta say, I really admire. It's more like an American story, right? Not, not a very Norwegian Scandinavian story. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the guts it takes, and you put your face on the book and just put yeah. it all out there. Yeah. Uh, really, really a beautiful thing. What a beautiful intention behind the book, too. Uh, okay, so then ta- tell people what happened. <laughs> I published the book uh, a year it, after. Things went uh, crazy, September right? September 2010. And what did your publisher say? Like, this is going to be insane? Yeah, they were very... Um, they realized that I was in a very vulnerable situation, so they were very considerate. Um, and I'm very grateful for them. I have good connections with them still. They could have uh, they could have said, "Oh, this is going to be a bestseller. Let's use her." Right. But they were very. They met my family. They talked a lot whether we wanted to do this or not. Um, they were considerate yeah. of your individual circumstance. Yeah, and I think it's important to for publishers to to think like this when they publish nonfiction books, biographies. Your parents must have been. What? How did they feel about it? They they wanted me to write the book and so okay. so you guys were all yeah. on board. Yeah, you put it out. They, it does. They become, supported me as well. It did become a bestseller, didn't it? Yeah, it did become a bestseller in Norway that fall, fall of two thousand and ten. I was then, a lot of in the media. I was very. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> it was like a whirlwind. We would say, it's yeah, just it's things just, happening um, all the time. I and then I got a prize, Norwegian of the Year. <laughs> really? Yeah. From uh, from a magazine. They, okay. Yeah, in 2010, and it was that that gave me even more attention. Um, and then in January 2011, I went to do a lecture at School of uh, Nansen, uh, and Nansen is a great Norwegian hero. He's also one of the people who uh, who made UN. Uh, happen hmm. uh, and he was one of the people who who helped people without citizenship in uh, uh, in south of russia armenia georgia that area with their passports yeah. uh, in like 1900 um, so he was a very important figure in norway and there was very 
great honor to be invited to do a lecture there. And I did lecture and I, we went with some friends out on the street just to, to go for a tour. And then there were two cars that just suddenly stopped in the middle of the street. And I, I was just like, I was happy. I was talking. I didn't notice anything. And then suddenly there was a this policeman, uh, this man standing in front of me. And then he showed me his police badge and he's saying, I'm here to arrest you. <laughs> and I thought it was a joke. Right. Seriously, I thought someone pranked me to yeah. to to film it. Because and at then, that point, how many months had the book been out? Uh, around six months. Okay, or something. yeah. And yeah. so you've been doing all this stuff, and nobody's come no, to, to and, arrest and, you yet. And my, you would think it would happen. Yeah, and my lawyer had sent in uh, a a letter to the police and to the asylum authorities asking for uh, an interview, so I could give an interview, and so that could they could consider my my application because when i came to norway i was i was just a part of my parents application so mm -hmm. i never got to tell my story i see okay so my uh, my lawyer asked for that and we didn't hear anything yeah. so it was like okay they're probably thinking and then suddenly there are two police cars there are 12 policemen and they they show me in shove me in the car um and they just start driving and my friends and the last thing i i i yell is to my friends is like please call my lawyer his name is that and that uh, and my friends were just so shocked um the students at the school uh were shocked um and they took me to the police starts driving and, the and i sit with the two policemen in the back and they say so we've read your book it's really good <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can you let me out of the car now please <laughs> yeah and i i don't know i but i i hmm. i just went into the like survival mode so i was trying to think what's happening what are the next steps how i, I just didn't want to show them that i was weak right um you went back to that <laughs> 12 13 year old girl that yeah. was like i'm gonna get through this yeah you're not you're not gonna enjoy my pain <laughs> um so they they took me to asylum jail called trandum and it is a place that's been criticized by un uh, many times for the uh for the human rights viol violations that's in, surprising in norway because norway is always kind of featured as like having these nice jails and sort of being progressive <laughs> yeah, they do in have that nice way. jails for people with legal status <laughs> oh i see okay what was this place like uh it was it was kind of it's it's a detention camp but it's i feel it's it's more of a jail and it's right by the uh, oslo airport so uh, the goal of this place is uh, to arrest um, undocumented immigrants and then uh, deport them right away. They may stay maybe one or two nights at this place and then they will be deported. That pr the problem is that people stay there much longer than a couple of nights. They Some stay a week or two or mm. at least when I was there. I mm. don't know how it is now. They drive me there and by that time the, my case explodes in the media. Mm. It's on, in every news outlet and, um, and... And globally, right? Yeah, it's also ex exploded globally as well. Yeah, there were like Spiegel and BBC and I arrived there and before I'm sent to, the, to my room or cell or how you call it, I need to be body searched. So they, that's, that's apparently a, a, a routine. So they have to like body search me. That was quite shocking experience and they put me in the room, they locked the door and I, I'm just there. 
alone and I have no idea what's happening. If they're going to be deporting me tomorrow, I, I, I have no idea. So, so I stayed there for one week um, and there were a lot of press coming to visit me. I got to know the other people who were there. I was placed in this like family section there, where there were people with, with kids. I, was, uh, I didn't have access to the newspapers or to internet or even phone. Um, I met with my lawyer sometimes and then um, it turned out that he took my, my arrest to, to the court and it went so far as Supreme Court. Uh, in Norway, and the Supreme Court within said, a, within a week within uh, yeah within within a week wow. uh, uh, and the Supreme because like it was through three three levels yeah. of courts because and, now you became a representation of a larger issue. At yes. that point, it wasn't about you, the individual, anymore. Mm. When it goes into the courts, so they're saying, "All right, we're going to set a precedence around yeah, so they, this." So they what the Supreme Court said is that it was um, uh, it was bad. They they used a, uh, a German expression, I think it was the yeah I'm not gonna fingerspitzgefühl <laughs> to arrest me. Um, they could have just you know called me in for an interview and see, yeah. told me that they need to deport me. Yeah. So I was very happy about that. That they the they they acknowledged that that was wrong. That was yeah. handled in uh, the wrong way. Yeah. So they let me out, but they still said we need to deport you. Suddenly. Um, we don't know when. <laughs> and by the time the Prime Minister of uh, uh, Norway <laughs> was in the media <laughs> against me, like personally saying that he was that um, that we need to deport deport her. What happened is that there was this tech magazine who read about my case, and uh, in one day, like they discussed it in the meeting at nine o'clock in the morning, and then by the two o'clock, uh, the same day, they decided, we want to hire you. So they, they've never met me, but they decided, we want to hire you. Like, we don't care about the politics, but we... That's so we, you sweet. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, sweet is probably the wrong word, but it's making me tear up a little that there was people getting in a room trying to figure out, like, another example of, like, some of that help, right? Like, how can... Yeah, what, how can what we can keep do? Maria here? This is wrong. Yeah, yeah. They're like, she's she can write. She she works with tech stuff. Why not? We'll she's find a, a talent. place for her. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I so they they threw themselves into this the whole very unsure landscape of what my life is going to be. Right. Um, and that actually saved me. I think that and all the demonstrations on the streets, there were so many people out there supporting uh, supporting me and also... People were marching Supporting for you. other people who were in the similar situation. This so must have been of, surreal. <laughs> it was surreal. It was in this asylum jail one morning, I woke up and I was like, why is there so many people outside? And then apparently nobody told me there was demonstration outside in like in support of me and other people who were at uh, Trondheim. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was wow. a lot of was happening. I was deported um, by the end of uh, January, but I came back to Norway three months later on a work visa. So what when you were deported, they sent you back to Russia. They sent me to Moscow, which is okay. like, which was like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and what? What? Just curious. What did you do there? So did you just show so up? And like, all right. Uh, I went through the border control in 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 Moscow, and I I had to have like because I didn't have proper papers. All you get when you are deported, all you get is like this 
tiny paper uh, just with a with a stamp and that says you can take this and go and get a passport <laughs> at somewhere <laughs> so it's very and then I wasn't from Moscow, so technically they should have deported me back to to Caucasus, where where right. some maybe someone I knew was, um, and then the uh, the border people in uh, in Moscow, they're like, "Why the hell are they deporting you? Like, aren't you like Norwegian of the year?" <laughs> <laughs> they, knew. <laughs> they knew. They knew who you were because I was I was uh, in all the headlines in in Russia as well <laughs> that day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So that was that was they, so they surreal. They deported their Norwegian of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but the, actually, the so so I spent three months there, and I went from an office to office through all through the Russian bureaucracy, um, and I got my passport. And they okay. were very they were very like thorough. They they followed the protocol. They. What about your parents? Did they get kicked out too at the same time? Yeah, they eventually they they got sick during this time. It was very tough time for them to watch what was all happening in the media and they they went um uh they had to get some help and uh eventually they also got their papers in order and they they left hmm. because there was no hope for them to stay in norway and they're still not in norway no, right no they- not in norway but they they have they've got all the documents in in europe so they can okay yeah yeah um and so what happened is that they deported me but um because this this uh idea about job offer came up so uh the opposition um in the government who was supporting me they managed to negotiate a deal with the uh prime minister and his party uh that we can cr- that they can create a new type of law that would allow me and people in similar situation to come back on a job offer so they made a whole new law. They for made you. a whole new law. What's yeah. the law called? <laughs> well, Lex Amelie. That's and how. It's, and it's a le- it's a law right it now. It's exists. a Norwegian yeah. law. It's yeah. it's a tiny law. It's yeah. it doesn't help like hundreds, right. but it helps maybe two, three, five people um, a year, maybe. Mm. Uh, and it's it's a law for people who are undocumented, uh, but who have a job offer locally in Norway and maybe proper education or relevant education. Mm. And so they can leave the country and apply for a uh, work permit from their home country. Mm. So it's very... uh, But it's still... still, um, There may be 15 people who were allowed to stay on that law. And Mm. they, as soon as they came back to Norway, they became taxpayers. So they had a job offer. They started working right away. Um... And it kind of it it was a it was a miracle because otherwise, if you leave the country, you will be expelled. You'll be banned from Schengen yeah. for many many years. So it kind of works. Work, I mean, works they, around they made it. a law so you could come back. Yeah, basically. So, yeah. so that's yeah. that is a miracle in some way. You yeah, know? it is. It is. It's it's. I would never would have thought that could happen. Like, the pen is mightier than the sword, as they say. Oh. Right? Yes. No, that's a good one. <laughs> so that's yeah. uh that's an incredible story. That's how I ended up working with tech uh and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um became very, very passionate uh, about um 
entrepreneurs, how people, and then I kind of went back to what my parents were doing, like building the ecosystem mm. for entrepreneurs. I'm, I'm there now myself again. You're helping um, refugees get jobs, just yeah. like your, your yeah. father was doing. <laughs> yeah, it's all going in circles. Mm -hmm. But it, it took me actually um, a while to, I've interviewed many of some of the most successful uh, founders in Norway and also Nordics. And it's usually white male people. <laughs> yeah. And some of them have amazing stories. But after talking to, to many of them, uh, I just realized that they are not superhuman. They, they are just normal people. Right. They just tried. They started something. Um, and then I realized that some of my life experience as a refugee, as, as a migrant, um, was kind of useful if I would start a company myself. Hmm. And I... I never did this connection between those two because I always thought, no, no, I'm not going to become an entrepreneur myself. But then I started thinking, well, I am really good with risk. Like I, after after you've risked so much previously in your life, starting a company is not such a big risk. No, I mean, this is, <laughs> I'm looking again like, down at this not, book. You're not like die that's <laughs> that's a big risk putting yourself out there in that way. Yeah. This is like. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur, that's like, <laughs> I'm going to do that in my sleep <laughs> yeah, <it's> still, <laughs> for you. It's still scary. But then I then I tried to think of, well, you went to the to this asylum jail and that was much worse. Yeah. So this is nothing. And then you also learn to be resilient. I mean, I've lived on a very little budget for many years. So I, I'm used to, uh, you have to save and, as an entrepreneur, at least in the beginning. So I'm used to, to not spend too much money. Um, and also you see new solutions. I, I noticed that because I have my perspective of, uh, I have like, I, I can, I can look at the world through very different lenses. I can look at through a lens of someone who's, who was undocumented and how, what does it mean to not have papers in the mm -hmm. society? And then I can look at it as a Norwegian, uh, and then as a, someone who is a refugee who has come from totally different conditions. Yeah. So that, to being able to view every problem or challenge or innovation through these three lenses, I think helps mm. to create some new products, new um, new technologies, new ideas. Yeah. Um, so I. So yeah. So that's how I ended up thinking of writing more about uh, going back to migrant and refugee theme because I was away from that for many years and was all in tech uh, but then I decided hmm I thought there are many migrants in Europe and many of them are very entrepreneurial uh, what are their stories how how do they contribute to uh, to the economy of Europe um, and then I realized we found a lot of stats on um, that migrants are very entrepreneurial right. and sometimes even more entrepreneurial than the local population uh, but there, because of this um, negative narrative around migration, we often don't hear their stories, the stories of people who succeed, who, who come up with something and have used their migrant background to create something. Yeah. So when you say um, migrants, just to be clear, to create context for this conversation, because we're going to be talking about your work with startup migrants now, and I think some of the issues around that. And also, I want to come back, we can circle back to this at the end, but... um. I want to talk about how your experience going from country to country as a refugee. Um, you mentioned in your original email how that's mm -hmm. kind of changed your travel and how you 
now had to kind of hack travel for yourself in order to enjoy it, which I understand if you're forced to go from country to country, that's not an enjoyable thing. But when it's a lot different to do it for pleasure. We can talk about um, that if you want. So, yeah. Well, no, I think, I, think we should, I think we should come back to that yeah. because we're getting into um, some of the dialogue around Startup Migrants, which is your the book you have out now. And by the way, that's on Amazon and that is in English. Is this other book, Illegally Norwegian? Is that in English no, as well? No, okay, but I really all. wanted wanted to okay. translate so if any English. publishers yeah. are listening they can <laughs> yeah. contact um now but you said uh like one of the intentions behind startup migrants was you said there are books on migration books on entrepreneurship books on startup ecosystems and books on the refugee crisis but not a single book that combines these topics and uh, another thing you said in the book is right at the uh, end of the intro which i thought was a great thing you said we acknowledge that migration is a difficult issue but in this book our goal is to look for opportunities i think just that one sentence is such a huge uh, intention to put behind a book like this and really a, a way to kind of think about wh what is our intention as a society around some of these things. We think about migration or mass migration. I mean, that's kind of a, a stone cold fact. It's only going to become more of a thing because of climate change. There's just all kinds of stuff going around that affects how people move around the world. I, I just wanted to highlight that intention behind the book because I think that's also a very uh, positive intention to have when we're trying to solve these types of problems, right? There's like a couple ways to look at it. You can look at it the other way and say, well, how can we, how can we stop this from happening? How can we keep these people out? Or you're saying, Hey, this is a difficult issue, but um, let's look for the opportunities here. It's, it's, it's just a healthy way to approach the same problem. Right. So yes. I just wanted to commend you on that. Do you want to expand on anything I just said around your intention for this book? Yes, so and your work because this ties in with what you're doing now. Yes, so we uh, we started a company called Startup Migrants and we wrote a book as well. Yeah, so it kind of all happened suddenly. Me with me and my co-founder Nikolai Strom Olsen, who also wrote a book uh, with me. In Europe, something was happening. There were suddenly so many co-working spaces, incubators, accelerators, all this hype, uh, hyped places to, yeah. to be an entrepreneur. Um, and we also noticed that something was happening with uh, with migrants. Uh, and by migrants, we, we look into, we define them in three groups. Migrants from outside of EU, uh, migrants in from from EU, and then you have refugees. Mm -hmm. We came and applied and got their legal status as refugees. Yeah. Uh, so we noticed that all three groups uh, were on the move in in Europe, and nobody was actually speaking so much about it. Um, and then after the refugee crisis crisis, we also noticed that there were so many, both NGOs, social entrepreneurs, private initiatives popping up everywhere, in, in order to help uh, refugees. Yeah. Uh, in some way, either to get them a job or to help them with this to start a company. So it is a growing ecosystem of um, on this field. And I think uh, we we kind of captured, in this book, we capture what is happening in Europe right now. We went to Jordan, to Lebanon. We went to the countries where, uh, we, where many refugees uh, and migrants also uh, start their journey. Uh, and then we went to Israel and to many countries in Europe and in the Nordics and trying to understand do they care about migrants who are starting companies, basically? What do they do to empower more migrants to become successful entrepreneurs and create new jobs? Um, and we realized that it, in many countries, um, the policy is to get migrants to uh, into jobs. 
Like they they are so much also in Norway. They're so focused on that migrants need to get a job. Right. Part of like the integration process is yeah. that you should get a job, but they're not really educating on creating jobs. No, exactly. So they're not talking about uh, that migrants can also create jobs. They don't need to wait for someone to give them a job. They can also create a job for themselves and for many other migrants and uh, Norwegians and local local people. Right. Um, so that's what we decided to how can we there are so many books on and so many material and re, uh, research on the bad side of migration mm-hmm. but then again if you go to people who uh, teach economy or uh, political science they all say that uh, migration is good for the economy <laughs> yeah uh, when people are coming and they're getting a job and they're working they're doing the jobs and someone no one else is wants and eventually they build them up in the society so we wanted to to look at the also positive things with uh, with migration and how can public and private sector do more uh, in order to use all this amazing talent that is in their country uh, that is uh, more uh, willing to take a risk, to think differently, and to start a business. Yeah. Were you done with that thought? It looked like you were... I, I can talk for hours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was this other sort of sweeping idea that... I, I think it's easy to that people can get lumped into these categories, right? But within the category of migrant or whatever, you have people that don't have as many skills. You have people that were professors at universities. There's all these different... Um, categories of people, and that's with refugees or anything like that. So, I mean, I guess the question is how, what are some of the success stories you've seen? Maybe you can give some real world solutions or success stories from the book, from some of these other countries that you've seen that may be good directions to consider moving forward for for other countries around the world. So we see that countries like UK, uh, Sweden, and also Germany are doing really well. Uh, yeah. with uh, migrants and refugees. So what f- uh, founders with migrant backgrounds struggle most with is uh, bureaucracy. Like how is it to start a company, how to navigate bureaucracy in a new country, new language, everything. It is difficult. <laughs> it is difficult. And uh, uh, I think the easier you make it to, for everyone to create and um, sustain a company, the more it will affect in a positive way migrants too. <laughs> um, for example, in UK, uh, it's it doesn't cost you anything to register and to to you don't need any capital to start a company. So the idea is the easing the laws on entrepreneurship is general, yeah. lowering the barriers to entrepreneurship. Yes, you've you've put it in a much better way uh, than me. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, and in Norway, it costs three thousand euros to you need to for the capital mm-hmm. uh, in the company, and in Germany, it's twenty five thousand euros. So it it's, yeah, and in America, I think I paid ten dollars to yeah, file the form exactly, in Colorado. Exactly. So it's it's kind of uh, the lower the barrier is to to registering and studying company, the more people will will do it, especially people with from low income and especially migrants. Right. Um, Another thing we've seen is that network is a really big challenge for for founders from from diff- with different diverse background. Yeah. Um because if you you kind of you need you need people. <laughs> you need an infrastructure. Uh to uh, you need mentors or people who can advise you and uh, clients and you need to go to conferences and etc. So uh, I think the 
local chambers of commerce. We have them in Norway. They're, they're also in every city in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, this The more um, contact between them and uh, founders with diverse backgrounds would could re- result in in I think in great partnerships. Yeah. Um, because uh, right now, especially in, in Germany, especially in Norway, it's there's not a lot of contact between between those two groups. You have someone who is doing a, a restaurant or a or a ta- a service company. Uh, with a migrant background, and they don't see the value of joining a chamber of commerce if it's all just Norwegians there. And then Norwegians in the chamber of commerce don't necessarily see the value, don't necessarily notice the founders with different backgrounds because they're less visible in the mm-hmm. society. Right. So it's I think being aware of each other would help a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you're doing a lot here in Norway to facilitate those connections, right? That's part yeah. of your work. Yeah, we we we're trying to we're trying to figure out and also so we want I I would love to build a tech startup around this. It may be on like governmental technology or 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 more like I don't know. We're, we're trying to figure it out. Uh, so we're doing different projects and we're doing research uh, uh, mapping out uh, how including different cities in Europe are. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, I think we'll we'll come up with some uh, <laughs> prototype uh, of a tech solution uh, on this because I, I, I'm really interested in how can we scale, um, scale and contribute that many more uh, migrants are succeeding in right. Europe. Yeah, you're trying to. I, I love this. I love this the way of thinking because I mean, I, you're looking at something like Uber. You can see it can completely revolutionizes mm. the, you know, the shared ride or taxi industry. But you're saying, hey, like, what what can we do yeah. in our space to make this a better world, essentially, for all involved. Mm. And it's, it's a big question. It's a big question, mm-hmm. and it's Europe is is fragmented. You have uh, different countries, different languages. Uh, it is sometimes struggle a struggle to find data uh, because mm. a lot of reports are done in German uh, or only in French. So you have to. Right. So, but right now we have people on our team who speak both, uh, so who speak really well German, and then eventually we pr- probably need more yeah. more people of different uh, experience. So it's different in the US. In the US, you have at least one language, and uh, one big country. Yeah. Um, we see that, like in Norway, we notice that. Most of the Norwegians are, they all, almost all of them have a job. <laughs> and the number of people who want to build a company, uh, to start a company, is going down. So, and at the same time, migrants are the, uh, the ones who are actually starting companies. So, how, how can we make public sector especially to realize what potential they have? Yeah. Um, and one of the countries uh, who did it well is actually Israel. Because they once they got many migrants who were refugees from the Soviet Union who moved uh, there in the 90s. At the, be- the beginning, it was kind of overwhelming, uh, but they managed to um, track their skills uh, in a better way. So they, they knew who was who, what kind of skills people were bringing into the country. Mm-hmm. And they managed to set up some public uh, VC funds to that kept investing in, in entrepreneurship. And they, they had also... They they realized that building network was very important, so they started to connect all those people of different skills with uh, with the talent they already had in the country. Right. Um, so they I think they looked at the uh, migration 
as an opportunity while in in Europe we often maybe look at it as um as a problem exactly yeah and it's uh I think this is what I was loving about the book going through it and seeing well, obviously we live in an interconnected world it's a global economy time to accept that right <laughs> this idea of hey we don't have to reinvent the wheel here you guys are taking a look at other countries that have experienced um this mass migration in and how they handled this successfully and this is an incredible way to kind of i guess draw out solutions that could potentially work in other places there's no need to reinvent the wheels what i'm saying right i mean like obviously different things translate to different cultures but at the same time when you see people or countries that have done certain things successfully why not replicate that or see if you can or put your own spin on it but it's uh it's uh, like you said i mean combining these different things into one book i think was a brilliant start to this movement you're trying to further and it's also about building a community because we've talked to so many people now we've probably talked to over 400 people in europe yeah. who are working on these issues either they are migrants themselves or and are founders or they work with helping others to succeed so um and we see that there are similar solutions popping up in Germany and in Sweden and in Norway, but all those initiatives are not talking to each other. So that's what also we've been, we, we're right now, we're, we're building a community mm. of people who are, who are involved in this work and who maybe can exchange uh, ideas um, and, and kind of build some kind of overview about what, yeah. is, what is happening. If anything, what can sort of everyday people do to contribute to solutions to some of the issues we discussed today i always encourage people to talk to each other uh, if you go to uh, to your local store or to your local cafe and just talk to people who are working there yeah um because they probably are migrants <laughs> and uh, they might might need some help with their business or just you know someone they can talk to and share their ideas i've uh, every time i go in and to a store and i see a good for example a good restaurant i've always talked to the uh, owners and just ask would you like to scale because that's one of the issues we see that for migrant owned businesses it's sometimes difficult to scale because you need more network and you need capital and you need some financial advice uh, as well um, All that I, is resonating with me. <laughs> I can tell yeah, you that. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I see that there are people who, who could have scaled their businesses because they're doing a great business, but they just, they don't have the capacity. They don't have the, they don't have someone who can push them. And then I see other stuff that, are, that is scaling that is probably shouldn't be scaling because they just have the capital. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, just communicating and getting to know acknowledging that there are f there are many founders around you with a, mm -hmm. with a diverse background and uh, um, expanding on your own network as well yeah. um, so that's that's one thing and uh, another thing I think uh, for the media I would like to encourage the media to um, work harder to find more diverse uh, sources for their articles, especially about entrepreneurship, hmm. because there are man many diverse founders there, but we don't necessarily hear from them. Right. You're not and hearing about the challenges because they're not... Yeah. And, the, and there's there's actually a report generally on uh, how media uh, writes about migrants and refugees. 
And in I think over like 70% of the, of the articles in Europe that they have looked into, um, migrants are not the uh, main um, story. They, they are mentioned, they are talked about. They're not talked with. Right. Um, and in very, very few cases, like 3% migrants are experts or spokespersons in, mm. in the articles. So I think um, the media and generally everyone who is doing content, uh, any type of content, can be maybe more aware of, of inviting someone to talk about tech who has migrant uh, diff diverse backgrounds yeah. or invite someone to talk about entrepreneurship and uh, not necessarily about their own uh, life but they just contribute as an expert um, so I think that that could also make a difference if you're in a position to help somebody out they're a good person you have the capacity to do that in some way like all the help you got along the way with your journey um, certainly that's a uh, that's something to think about I think. <laughs> yeah, we, I think... Uh, We're all here to help each other out. Uh, yeah. you know, it's there's this expectation. I, I think there's this expectation that you know, like either you go uh, start a company and go save the world or... or go, you, you, right. You can also do something like right here, right now. Right. And that will be very meaningful and yeah, kind. Circling back here to travel, uh, you said in your email, you said, I was 25 years old when I got my passport and could travel. After a lifetime of being a refugee and fleeing from country to country, traveling seemed like the most scary and painful thing to do. Nine years later, I've been to over 40 countries and plan to travel more. I just had to hack it and find my own, own way of being a traveler. Certainly listening, if you're listening to Maria's story, you can probably understand where that sentiment is coming from. I'm just curious, how did you hack it and find your own way of being tra a traveler? What did that mean to you? I've been really excited to ask you this question. Well, I think... The way we talk about traveling is very influenced by the um, maybe more like Western view uh, the, the, the on sort traveling. Of the the like, idea of yeah, people are talking about go backpacking, and for me, going backpacking, I think that's the most painful, worst thing I can do because it for me it means okay, you carry all of your stuff. Okay, I've done that as a refugee, right? <laughs> and then you go from place to place, and then the next day you don't know maybe where you're gonna be. Uh, if you haven't booked hotel or anything. So, okay, I've That's done that as a refugee. <laughs> really interesting, right? These are the things that like get people excited about traveling and yeah. these are all the things that like terrify you of it. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to do that. I love to being spontaneous on my trips, but I also love to to know where I'm going to be staying mm -hmm. and I love to be staying in a, uh, doesn't have to be super fancy place, but it has to be nice where I feel safe. Uh, and it's also, uh, I also don't, I hate to travel very, like, to go through places, like go one, one, one or two days there or like one week there. So uh, when I quit my job as a, a journalist and uh, went traveling in 2015, I, I came, I went to Thailand and then I just, I found this very beautiful beach and then just stayed there for the whole month. Really? Uh, but I, I loved it. What beach? Oh, Oh my do, God, do it was at Copenhagen. Okay. Yeah, Tonnapai, I think. Yeah. yeah, there were two beaches very close to each other. One was super, super relaxed one and the other one where all the resorts were. Okay. So it was like super fancy. But I You just hung out. I, I hung out at the... <laughs> oh, it was it was beautiful. And uh, I know that I've, if I if I had planned a schedule, a traveling schedule and tried to see the whole of uh, Thailand in that month, I, I don't know, I, I wouldn't 
that's that's that kind of stressful so for you. You associate yeah, was, that with uh, yeah, so, and some of the anxieties you experienced uh, yeah, as a refugee. You, like, and, and, and it's also, there's so many times in my life when I had to pack up my stuff and leave a place and never come back. Yeah. Uh, like I've, I've never been back to my home place where I was born. Uh, we just left a home. Someone else just took over our place. Um, I have been, um, I have now been back to uh, to some of the places in Finland and in Moscow, but I, I haven't. What was that been. like? It's just, I'm 34 now, and I still have some kind of anxiety when I'm when I'm gonna go traveling. Even though I'm going traveling to like the most amazing places on earth, I still. Uh, the evening before when I have to pack, I have this anxiety. Mm. Like, what if I will... It's, it's, a, it's what ingrained if I in you. and I will never come that back. they won't let you back yeah. in. Or, or just like, I, uh, yeah, I will it's, or something. It's, it's an irrational fear, you know, yeah. intellectually, but you can't help. Yeah, and it's become much better uh, with like meditation and just trying to acknowledge this feeling, you know, not mm. to... Not to push it feel like you're dumb or right. not cool you know <laughs> sure yeah um not to try to be tough but just to say it's yeah a, just okay I, this this is what's happening in me and that's okay yeah yeah i mean just, it's, it's very understandable from what you've been through yeah but i still i i i spent all of my money on on traveling uh, <laughs> uh because it's once uh, once i get on a plane i'm just so happy and excited and once I am in in that country in an, in a new environment, I'm I'm usually very very happy. So it's kind of you have to. I'm very happy that I managed to get out of my comfort zone and mm -hmm. and go to all those places. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's almost like to me, you're sort of reclaiming your power, your freedom, in yeah. a way. Anyway, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like that's true. I can move around the world now. I can, mm. I'm allowed to do this, yeah. and I've worked hard for this. So, yeah, it's let all, me, let yeah, me you take kind of try of to uh, try to also <laughs> sometimes do too much because I couldn't travel for so many years, right? Um, so it can be also like you're trying to accomplish everything. <laughs> To take up for the lost time. Right. Um, I mean, what was it something you thought about before? Or like when you were younger, but then having the refugee experience, you just were like, no way. That's, I just want to be in a place where I can, yeah. I'm allowed to stay. Well, I, I mean, I could, I'm sure it's, yeah. it's the furthest from your mind. At I, that point. I always, I grew up with like dreaming of going to Paris. So I, 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 I had a dream of going to Harvard or to Oxford uh, to, to study there or like go to, um, New York, yeah, um, and until I was twenty five, I didn't have uh, any opportunity to do that. Right, and even though when my parents, when when we were legal and I was twelve years old, even then my parents spent all of the time working. So we actually we never almost never had any vacation. So they worked as with the with the companies, and uh, now I'm also building my own company, but I'm trying to set to plan some travels mm -hmm. during the year because i think you can you will always have time to work <laughs> yeah um and um by going out going somewhere completely new you you just um it helps you to work better as well i right. think because it shifts your focus and um inspires you so hacking travel for you was finding your sweet spot in the sense of 
knowing yourself a bit and knowing that, hey, I don't want to jump around. I don't want to bring a backpack and live out of it with just a few things. I don't want to, like all these things you mentioned, once you kind of change the scripts around that, I, I suppose, then you you started yeah. enjoying it and then it became a big part of your life. I mean, it's 40 countries. It's I think quite a lot. <laughs> my, my, my expectation of traveling was based on the the traveling narrative that I've been exposed to. Like right. what everything I've read and how people go backpacking, how people go traveling, they just yeah. go to crazy countries. And uh, and yeah. I kind of thought if I'm not able to to do the same thing, then I I'm not a good traveler. <laughs> but then I think at some point I just realized no no it's it's traveling is about your own way your own yeah. personality like how it's it's not up to others to decide how to travel it's absolutely up to yourself so um so that's that was the way to to hack it is not to expect too much of myself and just you know enjoy and sometimes stay at a nicer hotel yeah if i can i love that you don't want to yeah i mean like you said the narrative that's painted if that's not something that you identify with then you you got to get out and find what travel style is comfortable for you, what that means to you, and and you can enjoy it in your own way, right? I think that's hugely important. And uh, you can only really do that by getting out and doing it, right? Kind of figuring it out, or at least questioning, first questioning the narratives if they're not, they don't feel right to you, and then just getting out and doing it and having the experiences. And yeah. there's no right way to travel. No, no, definitely <laughs> not. Yeah, but you should travel, I think, if... I don't know. It's, I love it. Yeah. What has been some of your favorite or maybe one of your favorite travel experiences? I've done, I've, I've, um, during this uh, writing of this book, I went two times to Jordan and I, it was actually my co-founder who said, we have to go to Jordan. And he just booked the tickets and the hotel. And I was a bit scared. Like, oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know anything about this country. Um, and, but I was very happy that I, we went and I really enjoyed coming back and I want to come back again because it was, um, the Amman, the city was very huge and confusing, but also very beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved why we went to Petra, uh, to this uh, yeah. UNESCO's World Wonder site. Um, and the next time I will definitely go to Wadi Rum, which is a desert hmm. um, outside of uh, Petra. Uh, where you know the movie Martian? That's where they found it. Oh yeah, it. okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. with the red red desert. Yeah. So I want to go there and spend some time there. Um, and the other amazing experience was uh, actually Yellowstone. Oh, it's a wonderful. I I, I just and it's it's it shows how serendipitous the life can be because I. Uh, I went to, on the trip to Jordan and I met um, Esther who became part of our team at Startup Migrants mm -hmm. and she uh, is actually from uh, Jackson. Oh, really? No <laughs> so kidding. So she's been a lot at Yellowstone and it, was, and it happened right at the same time when I was looking at how can I go there. Mm. Um, so I, I just texted my best friend and she said, okay, let's go. So, nice. so, so she, uh, we, yeah, we went and we went there last summer. Uh, and we rented a car, like a van. We, how do you call it? Sleeper van? We yeah, could sleep in it. Like van life. You did like the van had, life. Yeah, we, did, we had like, we had a kitchen. We had really? uh, cocktails oh, every man. evening. Sweet. <laughs> how was that? It was amazing. We yeah. saw so many anim animals. We saw bears and even one grizzly bear very far away. 
um, and we went swimming, we went kayaking. It was it was very, uh, yeah. I I was just very happy that I didn't overthink it. That I just said, okay, I want to go there, and let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you can overthink. Right. And then I think also. Um, I've also done some sailing in uh, in the northern coast of Norway, mm. and that's something I recommend. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Like going through the uh, go to the Lofoten Islands, but by by sailboat because mm. then you get completely different. Can you overview. rent boats or charter them, or how did that work? Um, I went with the uh, friend with friends of mine who okay. are who are entrepreneurs and who kind of build a company around doing these kind of trips. Um, these are good friends to have I know they, <laughs> but they like they love uh, they're all about sustainability and they love sailing so yeah. we went to I went with them a couple of times that's awesome um, it was it was very beautiful and you kind of experienced the midnight sun as well which mm. I find more fascinating than did you sleep on the, the boat? yeah we slept well <sighs> one or two this weeks on so the boat awesome. and, yeah and then we went to the northern northern part of Norway to Tromsø I mean, hey, if they want to do a podcast or something. Oh, they would definitely do that. (laughs) Got to get out on the boat there and record some audio. No, it's funny. I can be be assistant. I can join you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's do it. It's funny because I just went sailing for the first time this summer in Oslo Fjord with a friend of mine. And I was just like, this is awesome. And then I started talking, like interviewed a couple people that were living on boats and sailing. And now you're like, the sailing thing keeps popping up. And I, I am very intrigued with the idea of sailing around and sleeping on a boat and all that stuff i get yeah. seasick maybe i'm not sure yeah i, I got it i got to but eventually it you wears get over, over. It. Yeah. you get your yeah. sea legs yeah right uh, and it sounds like you added a bit of spontaneity into your travel style right you're like oh it's okay to just book a trip at the last minute yeah um, <laughs> like both book uh last minute but also yeah don't overthink it generally yeah. Yeah. i think uh one of the last thing i wanted to say when we talk when you were talking about your travel style I had this thought and then I lost it but I, I got it back again is it's not just the narrative that you're fed like in media or guidebooks or through conversations or whatever but it's also your own narrative over time right like I think as you get older the things you like travel wise can evolve too so you have to pay attention to your own narratives and understand if the way you like to travel is actually a part of that anymore because mm. those things change as well like now I have two kids it's kind of uh easier at least right now to slow travel to not go as quick or to stay in a place where they have a kitchen where we can um mm. you know it's just easier to kind of navigate the daily things as opposed to like staying in hostels with the kids you know it's oh, just wow. easier to rent an airbnb or something so i mean these things can change yeah, over life, time life changes life changes absolutely. so yeah. pay attention to your own stuff and <laughs> keep experimenting with that travel style right the last thing i want to ask you about was i guess related to your identity I mean, I feel like we all develop this identity, whether we want to be attached to it or not. It's kind of, you know, that moment when you wake up and you're like nobody kind of, and then like your consciousness sort of, you know, you're not like quite there yet. And you're just like a person on this planet, but you don't have like an identity kind of, and then your consciousness floods in and you're like thinking about all the things you do, you know, and it's like your mental world kind of zaps into your brain. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's a Um, really funny description. Right, so like, but you having lived in so many different places, speaking different languages, being a part of like Finland, for example, and then not being a part of it, being in Norway, having this experience, um, the experiences that you've had. Um, do you think about this this question at all? Well, sometimes I, I do because you kind of in between different cultures 
especially I, I feel I feel it strongly when I'm building my business because as an entrepreneur you're you're more you're more alone. You're not a part of a workplace where you go to every day and you have colleagues and you have network, you have a whole infrastructure around you. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur you have to actually think more about who you are, uh, what are you capable of, what what are you not capable of, uh, wh- where do you need help. And um, and it's very easy also to uh, stress about small stuff, stress about competitors if they are, or people doing other stuff, succeeding, and then suddenly you think, oh no, what I'm doing with my they, life. They took my idea. <laughs> right, or yeah. c- c- comparing yourself. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very easy to, to fall down that rabbit hole, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's damaging, I think. Uh, I think it's Oprah said, like, if you're in a race, you don't look back. Like, when you're running, mm. you don't look on other people running behind you. Right. You look forward. So, I, 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 that, that way, I think you kind of think more about who you are uh, your yeah. own identity and uh, I don't know who I am I think <laughs> or maybe I know I, I just I'm trying not to base who I am on what I do I think that's mm-hmm. I would rather um, focus on that because it's so easy to when you're very passionate about your work it's so easy to think that everything you are is mm-hmm. what your business are right um, and then your business is failing and then you feel suddenly that you're failing as a person mm-hmm. or or vice versa so I think uh, it's better to just be who you are and then you have this amazing yeah. business around in addition to that yeah um, it's a part of a way to detach from ego and identity and yeah. things like that too it's like you are not your job yeah essentially exactly. Exactly. that does not define you and it does not um yeah, it, it, I agree. Like, if you don't let that That's, be the defining factor of who you are, it's mm. a much healthier way to go through life. Because if the you know things change, things get taken away, things mm. don't work. Yeah, that doesn't mean you don't work. Mm. You're not a. Uh, it's easy to take bad it personally, person. <laughs> right? Uh, but like you said you get so wrapped up in it, and specifically, I think with the kind of work you're doing, where you're there's this greater question at stake, where you're trying to figure out, okay, how can I help these other people, and you know, with that service mindset comes another, I mean, I think it's the right way to do it, but it's also yeah. comes this additional sort of, hey, like I, we got to make this work because we got to figure out a way to kind of solve these problems. Mm. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of motivation yeah. comes from externally from that, yeah. that service mindset, right? I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're completely true. That's why, that's why I look a lot into, that's why I want to do something that is scalable because then, yes, I can support more people, but I can also build a model that doesn't build, build a company, build a tech solution that doesn't exhaust me as a, yeah. as a founder. Because if you are just, if I would be just doing um, projects on a small scale, then um, it, in a, in for, for many years to come, then mm-hmm. I won't, I, w- I will get exhausted at some point. Yeah. What's well, <laughs> the good old fashioned, uh, analogy like in, on the plane they always tell you put the mask on yeah, yourself exactly. first yeah. self-care and all yeah. that well um hmm. what an incredible story thank you for taking so much time thank you to i talk didn't know i didn't know you wanted to <laughs> to go through the whole oh we were gonna dive thing. deep i needed to hear it <laughs> yeah. all i mean yeah. this is i wanted to hear all this uh 
from you. So um, I just really respect what you've done, what you've been through, what you're doing. Um, I really appreciate your time today and sharing it with all of us. And uh, I do like to high five it out when we're in person here. So <laughs> we could do that. I know we had one earlier, but yeah. I, I need to get a closing one. And uh, if you want to just remind everybody where they can find you and learn more about you, you can feel free to share. Um, yeah, share well, thank you so much for hosting me, first, first yeah. and foremost. Uh, and I have been listening to your podcast and, and trying to hack uh, traveling while I was <laughs> listening it so I found a lot of useful advice as Thank well um, when it comes to me I'm on my email everything is on startupmigrants.com um, super easy to find I'm also on uh, my own blog uh, mariaamelie.com um, and our book is on Amazon um, uh, and also in every Norwegian bookstore if you're in Norway <laughs> uh, and it's called uh, Startup Migrants um, in Norwegian bookstores it's called Grenselose Grundere <laughs> founders without boundaries um so yeah that's that's me and i, I mean i'm over every social media as well so i would be happy to to hear from listeners who are maybe founders themselves with diverse background or or maybe who have uh, any ideas on what they want to do uh, maybe they want to start a company themselves. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and i look forward to we live in the same city so i really look forward to having more uh fun yeah. conversations yeah. with you and hanging out a bit. Definitely. Yeah. We can go to some startup events and inspire people. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. There you have it. Hope you enjoyed listening to my chat with Maria. I so appreciate her time and just sharing that story, which I know can't be easy, kind of reliving some of that stuff. We had a, just a wonderful conversation. I look forward to staying in touch with her as we're living in the same city and just continuing to learn from her. It's a totally different perspective that uh, this is one of the things I love so much about this podcast. I get to talk to these amazing people from these diverse backgrounds and to hear their perspectives and to share them with you. It's a beautiful thing we have here and I appreciate you being a part of it, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out. You could be doing a lot of things right now. You're listening to this podcast. Thanks. Drop me a line anytime. Jason at zero to travel.com. This is a community powered show. Let me know what you're up to. And of course, as I mentioned before, hop on the email list, zero to travel.com, giving away that exclusive audio bonus right now. And uh, you can just be looped in on all the stuff we have going on, the stuff that gets published off the podcast. Just put out an article on round the world tickets, for example, um, seeing if that's something that's right for you. So we're always trying to just, yeah, give you some useful stuff to help you travel the world. That's what this is all about. And thanks for being a part of this community. Um, the topic today of migration, such an important one. I was on UN.org, United Nations. They said there are now an estimated 258 million people living in a country other than their country of birth, an increase of 49% since 2000. This is from a 2017 report. This is actually a couple of years old. Um, they said international migration is a critical concern for the implementation of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Of course, climate change is only going to add to migration because... It's going to. <laughs> so we don't need to get into all that. But uh, just an important topic. And hope you enjoyed learning more about it today like I did. Quick thanks once again to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. Before I leave you with a quote, I just want to remind you, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga is that link that will take you to the page with all of the backpacks and travel gear I recommend from them. And it will also give you 10% off just for being a listener of this show. Grab one of their packs. You can use them to travel for three weeks, three months, three years. 
I love the Tortuga Outbreaker. I love the Outbreaker Day Pack. Um, I got the home base that I use regularly. Just got to check their stuff out. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. Go to that link. Get that discount. You'll also be supporting today's show. So you don't have to do a bunch of research. Get yourself a little gift or get a gift for another traveler in your family who you love. They got incredible stuff and been longtime supporters of this show. So thanks to them for being a part of this whole thing and this whole community here. Now, before I let you go, a quote. It's always good to end up on a quote. This one's from Emma Lazarus. Might sound familiar to you. She said, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Thanks again for your time, and I will see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 